it felt very mysterious and not in my it from in my experience it wasn't scary but it was mysterious and i didn't think to question it because then i did i didn't want to appear curious um because i didn't want people to be like well why are you asking like why why do you want to know about that you know we have an opportunity to make curiosity normal you know for for future generations if I could go back and do it all over again, I wish that I had started asking questions earlier. And if I didn't get them answered, be willing to look elsewhere. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Okay, I am thrilled uh, to have today's conversation and guest on the show. Uh, Heather is a friend from college. Uh, we ran in similar circles, more or less knew of each other during that time. Um, I think I've gotten to know her more as I've connected with you on social media um, over the years. Um, since then, um, she has grown her online presence in this really beautiful and vulnerable way. And I've so enjoyed um, following Heather, learning more about her, getting to know her more uh, in that space and was really excited to get ready for this interview. So um, Heather has been a blogger since 2009. Um, she is a creative in the online space, offering a variety of things to the community at large. She focuses on um, food. You must follow her. Um, I, have, I have done some of the recipes and things she suggested, so please do that. Um, she encourages women. It talks about healthy living and lifestyle and family. And so um, just the way she shows up vulnerably to share her life story in the public space is a ministry to the community, covering topics like body image, disordered eating, health and wellness, motherhood, and being a businesswoman. So we are thrilled to introduce our guest, Heather. Thank you so much for joining us on Arable Podcast. Honored and thrilled to have you and have you share your story. Um, and so I'm going to start by letting you uh, introduce yourself to, uh, to our listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be here too. It feels, it's always, it always feels weird to me to kind of talk about myself, even though that's literally what I do. But, yes. <laughs> you know, I, um, as we were just talking about before the show, you know, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, went to Texas Tech. Um, that's where you and I met. And since then have kind of moved around a little bit. My husband and I have lived in the Dallas area. We lived in um, Denver, Colorado area, and now are in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, and in that time in Colorado, I started my blog, Heather's Dish, um, and it kind of stemmed from a place of, I was in a job where I really liked the company that I worked for, and I loved the people that I worked with. I did not like mm -hmm. my actual job. And so one day on a lunch break, I happened upon um, a magazine article at the checkout stand at Whole Foods, and it was this article about like three or four different women who had turned their lifestyle blog or like a, they, we called them healthy living blogs mm -hmm. into a job. Um, they were making money from advertisements and had quit their traditional job. And at that point in 2009, it was like the wild west, like nobody, um, 
nobody knew what a blog was. Nobody took it seriously. And, but I thought, you know, this is really fun. I love what they're doing. I started following these girls on, um, on their blogs and reading what they were saying. And I said, you know, I, I've got a story to tell too. I might as well talk about it. And so, Mm uh, at that point in time, it's just anybody who has a blog of any kind, this is going to sound nuts, but I was blogging, like writing a new blog post three times a day where I would share like what what I know. (laughs) It was. Wow. I was not aware of that, and I feel like I was an early follower, but I was not plugged in. Apparently, it was more of like a um, like an online health and fitness diary kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And so I look back at those old blog posts, and it's like, hey guys, it's me again. I ate breakfast, and then I went on a walk, and it was it's just like <laughs> ridiculous things like that. But as I started to make relationships, or you know, form relationships and friendships with other people, other bloggers. Um, you know, I found out that a lot of us were kind of struggling with things like disordered eating or had a past of stuff like that. And so I started to kind of feel more comfortable being vulnerable and opening up about my own experiences with, um, I hesitate to say eating disorders, but definitely disordered eating and body dysmorphia and um, just an obsession with how much food I was eating and how how much energy I was expending. And um, mm-hmm. it just kind of went from there. Um, and then as I started trying to, as I was eating healthier and trying, you know, talking about different healthy things that I was eating, I found out that people were really interested in the recipes. And so from there, it kind of morphed into this recipe blog where I, you know, I have a lot of really butter and sugar laden things on there, but also a lot of other things that are in the more of the health sphere, um, that are just more nutritious, I guess. Um, and, it just has continued to grow from there. Just as social media has grown and Mm -hmm. blogging has grown, it's just continued to kind of snowball. And, um, you know, what I'm doing now looks very different than what I originally thought I was going to be doing, but it's been a really fun ride. So I'm very thankful to to have had that experience. I remember, I don't know, finding, connecting with you, um, on, on, uh, kind of early on when you were doing that and I was so impressed and I, yeah, blogging was new and, um, I honestly, I, I, I can remember thinking she's, she's doing this (laughs) and I was so impressed. So just so you know, back then I was like, wow, look at Heather. Thank you. Um, people thought it was weird. My parents were like, what do you do? <laughs> it took a while. It took a couple of years of really being able to kind of show what I was doing to kind of prove it. But here we are. But isn't that the truth with a lot of like truly like kind of those who, who really did get into blogging as a professional um, avenue? I, I think a lot of people tell those stories that people really didn't understand what I was doing. So I, I there's something very brave, brave and courageous about you being willing to go into that space as an early adopter. So well, thank you. Kudos to you. <laughs> um, we're excited and very thankful that you're willing to share your story. This episode has been in the making for quite some time. Uh, you and I were chatting before the show. Uh, Kimberly and I had been noodling for a while about starting a podcast. Knew we wanted to, waiting for the right time and space. We knew the type of topics and conversations that we wanted to have. Um, and again, you and I had connected and I was following you after, uh, undergrad and I just loved the way you engaged the space in this grounded and healthy way. 
And I remember, and I, I'm really not sure, was it a couple of years ago, two, three, mm-hmm. I don't know, somewhere. It's been a minute. Something like that, um, yeah. You, yeah, you posted a statement about birth control. And I knew that when we launched the podcast, I wanted to have you on the show for this discussion. Um, so just for, this is our disclaimer, none of us are medical professionals. Um, no one here is giving medical advice. Seek your doctor out. Um, we want to have a frank conversation as three women who have personally navigated this experience. And then Kimberly and I are going to bring some texture and information from our training as sex educators and therapists. Again, we are not your therapists. We're, we're just some therapists, uh, in the world. And, um, yeah, we just want to generally, uh, engage this topic. Um, it's not talked about enough in our opinion. It's not discussed well in our opinion. And we're just hoping today's conversation invites others into some Mm -hmm. vulnerability. Um, uh, maybe women and couples, men will walk away empowered to engage better. Um, and give hope to anybody who is on or has been on a similar journey. So Heather, would you be willing to start by sharing your story, um, thoughts, feelings included on birth control and a little bit about that part of your life? Absolutely. Um, so before, before I got married, um, I, we, I mean, I did, I didn't have sex before I got married. Um, and I don't say that from a place of judgment or anything like that. I think I've actually been on a learning journey in that area myself, as far as, um, you know, how announcing that can make people feel. I don't say that, but I don't say that from a place of judgment. It's just, that's, that was a decision that I made and I'm very thankful that I, that I stuck to it. But because I was not sexually active before I got married, I didn't, really think through a lot of birth control options or anything like that. You know, Mm -hmm. so much of what I did as far as even things like planning the wedding and, um, you know, sexual health, I did as kind of what my friends had done. So I said, you know, I'm engaged to get married. It's, we're about eight, six to eight months out. I should probably go and, um, talk to my doctor about birth control. Yep. So I went in for my annual exam and said, Hey, I haven't been sexually active, but I will be soon. And so I'd like to, um, get on birth control. And he literally just was like, okay, here's a prescription and gave it to me. And I went and got it filled. And it was, I didn't ask any questions. I didn't wonder. I just was like, this is just what you do when you get married, you get on birth control and you don't have babies until you're ready to have babies. And, um, I think, you know, looking back, that has been one of my biggest frustrations is not, is the fact that I didn't even think to ask, you know, or didn't even think to question my doctor, didn't even think to question the prescription that he gave me, none of it. And I was, I mean, I took that, that little pink pill or whatever color it was like religiously, you know, I made sure that I had timers on my, you know, I don't even remember if I had, I didn't have an iPhone. <laughs> what did we do before iPhones? Um, we're dating ourselves. Uh, when did we get on Facebook? When did you get your smartphone? <laughs> I know. Um, but I took it religiously. I took it every at 6.30 a.m. every single day and made sure that, you know, we weren't ever going to have babies before we were ready. And um, look, like I said, looking back, that was probably the, the one of the bigger mistakes that I could have made for my own health. So moving forward, um, you know, the the wedding day was coming up and I noticed that my breast had grown 
And it wasn't, um, and I didn't like that because I was very comfortable with where I was at um, in that area. And I was like, this is really weird. I can't imagine what it would be. And so somebody was like, well, it's probably because you're on birth control and that's just what happens. And so then another thing that I just accepted is like, oh, well, this is just what something like this little pill is just going to make my boobs bigger. And I don't, I don't like it, but I'm going to keep taking it anyway. And, um, so then we got married, uh, and had moved to the Dallas area and I had to change, um, OBGYNs. And so I started going to another one and she asked me if I was happy with the birth control that I was on. And I said, it's fine. But she made a suggestion that she had, um, or she had a better option that might, that I might like better. And I don't even remember why that's why she suggested it, but I started taking Mm. a different birth control and it was Yaz. I don't know if we want to put that in or not, but, um, I started taking Yaz was, was the pill and I lost my period altogether. Um, didn't have my period at all, had, was really struggling with weight gain and, um, not being Mm. able to get it off. I didn't experience a lot of, um, hormonal changes as far as emotions are concerned. Like I felt like I was the same as I'd always been, um, emotionally, but it just, I was like, I was really uncomfortable with the fact that I didn't have my period, but I was like, I mean, this is just what you do. You just take this pill and, and you don't have babies before you're ready. So we uh, had kind of made a plan that we weren't going to start trying to have kids until we'd been married for about five years. And so when it got close to the time that we were going to start trying to have kids, I went off birth control and I got pregnant pretty, pretty immediately afterwards, which mm-hmm. um, I'm finding out more and more is, is pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. But I, uh, was really thankful to not have to be on that medication anymore. And I just remember just being in this place of feeling kind of freedom of not, of being happy that my period was back. You know, I was, um, and then we, and then we got pregnant and then, um, about, or a few months later I miscarried. I have no idea if they're related. I'm not going to speculate on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but immediately we start, you know, as soon as we were able to started trying to, to get pregnant again. So I was still off of the pill and, um, we got pregnant again, had our first child. And, mm-hmm. um, after the, what is it? That six week period after you have a baby where they say you can start being active again. Um, I was just like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to start taking birth control again. Mm. And I, during that time, during all that time, I had started to look at, different chemicals that we were surrounding ourselves with, with like skincare and cleaning Mm -hmm. products. And I, I won't say that we were changing anything, but I had started to become a little bit more speculative about those things. And I was just like, you know, I didn't have my period and it really, I had a, like I had my precious baby in front of me and I was thinking, you know, I know what the side effects are if you get pregnant and you continue taking birth control. And I could see like there was that physical image, you know, we, I had my baby in front of me, like I would never want to hurt that child. And I was scared that if we did accidentally get pregnant again, and I was, I didn't know it because I didn't have my period. And I was taking this medicine that could potentially harm another child, you know, it just, it really scared me. And so, um, I started looking into it a little bit more, found out that there are a lot of links between birth control and breast cancer, which already runs in my family. I'm already at risk for that. 
And mm-hmm. I just was like, this is really scary. I don't feel comfortable doing it. And I'm very thankful my husband was supportive of my choices for my body. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, but then I was left wondering, so if I'm not on birth control, how do we prevent getting pregnant? What again? Do we I, do? Yeah, what do you do? Like, how do you do this? And so um, I looked at a lot of different options, but found out about um, temping. I guess that's, I don't know if they still call it temping or not, but where you take your temperature every day and you record it and you kind of learn more about your cycle. So I've been doing that for eight years now, nine years. Um, okay. And it has been for me, a very good decision. Um, you know, when I posted on social media asking women about what I don't, I don't even remember what the original question was, but I asked on, me neither. I asked like <laughs> if people were taking, um, birth control or what they thought about it or whatever. And it was overwhelming how many people said they were taking it and wished that they weren't, that they didn't know another way. And I had, yeah. but I did have a few women reach out and say that they, because of certain other, other medical reasons besides, birth control, like actually preventing pregnancy, mm-hmm. they were taking it. And, um, I thought that was really interesting. I can't really speak to that, but I was like, that's interesting that there's actually other reasons besides prevent, yeah. you know, preventing or planning, you know, family planning purposes. So, um, anyway, but I just thought, I thought it was really interesting that so many women don't even still, I mean, that was only two years ago two maybe three mm-hmm. still didn't mm-hmm. feel like they were empowered in that area. And, um, so anyway, I, like I said, I've been doing that and it's been really great to learn more about my cycle. I, I, you know, I understand now, um, when I'm ovulating, I can tell when I'm, you know, going to start my, like about to start my period, whether I actually look at my little calendar or not. And, um, it's been really cool to be more in tune with my body because I can see those little signals. Like I know that I'm going to get a headache about three days before I start. And that's just, so as soon as I get a headache, which I don't normally get, um, unless mm-hmm. it's spring in Arkansas, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I know that, okay, I've got a few days to kind of round up everything, make sure that I've got all the supplies and that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's been, a, it's definitely been a journey. Yeah. I, I think you're. Again, I I cannot remember exactly what you posted either. I just remember going, oh, we're having this conversation with Heather, for sure. <laughs> but I remember that it captured uh, the problem mm-hmm. that women, I'm going to say and men too, we'll get oh, to yeah. that, but women are not informed and educated, empowered, and connected with their bodies and like all of these things are are like mixed and mashed up in this topic yeah I would agree that we sort of just um I would say a vast majority of women that I have like worked with and I'm and and in my personal life friends I just we kind of nod our head to when someone hands you birth control for any reason Mm -hmm. um and I have also had that story so um and I'm and I'm willing to share it like quick snippet um I actually was someone who got put on birth control um for other reasons Mm -hmm. so um I did not take birth control for any reason uh prior to college um I had adult onset acne and so I had the most beautiful perfect skin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like in high school, I did not have the classic like battle 
hormonally at that time. Um, and I was hormonally a late bloomer. And so I don't know how all that kind of like mold melts together in the storyline, but, um, I had adult onset acne that I started to battle with, um, in college. And I remember, um, the dermatologist suggested getting on birth control, which because of, um, being from church culture, I actually had a really hard time saying yes to. So like, that's a, that's like a whole nother podcast. Um, it was for acne and, um, and I had a really hard time and I did not know enough. It was the doctor. Like I just was like, okay, you know? Um, and so I started taking it and had a very bad reaction to it. Um, which if I knew how it worked at the time, it would have made more sense. But I had morning sickness mm-hmm. with this birth control. And it was literally impeding my ability to like show up to my gen psych class um, in the morning because I was so nauseous. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, that was a really brief stint. And then I think I dissociated from it and like filed it away because I don't want to think about that anymore. Um, and battled with ointments and all sorts of things. Um but I did not start taking it again. And again, I can't remember what I took then. I just nodded my head um, until about six months before I was going to get married. And I was like, well, it's my job. I'm now going to go take the thing. And I had to go back. And I said, hey, I had really bad morning sickness. Couldn't tell them what I took. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really a great investigation. They're just like, well, let's just try something. I was like, okay, we're just going to try things. If it's like, I, looking back, I feel so frustrated with my lack of empowerment about like, I, it's like I'm some chemical experiment, but, um, I started taking it and I had the emotional reaction. Mm. Um, but it was six months prior to my wedding. I had a really long engagement for circumstantial purposes and I had attributed what I'm going to say, very casual lay language. I went crazy, but I attributed it to being a bride. Mm -hmm. And so like the stress of being a bride, but we got about six months into our marriage and like everything that I had married my husband for his sense of humor, like these things that I loved, I like hated him. And I was like, and I'm just so thankful that at some point, like it dawned on me, I married you for the reason I now loathe you. Like, I'm sure there's something there, but I feel like, like I did not feel like myself and I had just enough awareness to go, I don't like this. And so I went to my doctor and I said, you, you have 60 days to figure this out or I'm probably having a baby because I'm not sure I can pull off the family planning method. Yeah. Um, and so, cause that takes a lot of consistency and commitment. And so, and then I went on a whole nother journey and, and like, we'll, we'll probably unpack it as we go along. But, um, I had the real strong emotional experience and I called up some, some of my girlfriends from college cause we were all still really close and newlyweds and they were all having very similar experiences and getting off birth control. So, um, when you tell your story, when we tell our stories, there is this significant issue. I'm going to, again, men and couples, but for women with this being their bodies and having the right to make informed decisions. It's just been such a, such a a passion for me to talk about. So. Yeah. Well, and as you, as you ladies talk, I, what's coming up for me is this kind of pattern of, we don't have a lot of information. Um, It's, Hey, 
that's normal, whatever that is, you know, your, your breast size is growing, you hate your husband, you're having morning sickness in college, or whatever it is, that's normal, just accept it, you know, versus this, um, you know, and to, to Jenna's point, it's kind of pointing out a lot of complexity and challenge with, you know, um, are we informed as, you know, young women, you know, when, when our first menstruation shows up, um, just uh, informed in general as human beings, male or female, about reproduction and how it works and hormones and having conversations about sexuality, mm-hmm. which we all know, know is the answer to that question. So it just points out a lot of layers. And Heather, as you share your story and Jenna, you as well, what's coming up for me is just... Um, a little bit of the light bulb epiphany moment where you go, okay, so the full education and decision for birth control is problematic and it's lacking and, and it's your own story that's leading you to that place. And we just don't understand. And cause this is such a common story that I hear. I've got similar dynamics for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've walked with clients, friends, um, siblings in, in this journey. And it's just this, oh, wait, okay, there's a problem. Now I start my educational journey because it sounds like, Heather, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't a lot of, hey, let, let's walk you through this. Let's talk yeah. about your hormone cycles and your options and your what may best fit you, um, femi- feminine sexual response cycles in general, and then yours specifically, you had to seek it out on your own if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly. Mm-hmm. And, and so just I'm curious what that – education or that self-education process was like for you? Was it daunting? Was it exhausting? Was it freeing and validating? I'm just curious that, that just what that journey was like. Um, all of the above. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny as we're sitting here talking because, you know, we talk about, about church culture and I do still believe that waiting for marriage was right for right choice for me. But, um, it became like the, the sexual education. I mean, even not like outside of church. Like I remember sitting in fourth or fifth grade in the library at my school and watching the little video on the like AV monitor about like, yeah, this, the sex ed this is what sex is and this is what your period is. And like they spent double the amount of time on the women's stuff as they did on the men's. Like they didn't even talk about like, they just said like, mm-hmm. you know, you get an erection and that's it. Like nobody. Okay. So quick question. Was yours co-ed? It wasn't, but they okay. did show. Okay. So you were, you were with just girls yeah. learning about both sides. Right. Um, okay. But you know, it's funny be, or not, I don't know if funny is not the right word, but they, at the school, we watched the video. We got a little baggie that had like some pads in it and, you know, maybe like some mitol or something like a little gift that you could take <laughs> home. And that was kind of it. And then, um, you know, everybody, you know, I say everybody, all of the teachers and kind of authorities made it sound like the whole thing, the whole idea is to prevent pregnancy. Like it's never, like it was so, so focused on like, don't become a a teen mom (laughs) basically. And that's why you Mm -hmm. don't have sex. And, um, in, in church and with conversations with my mom, it was very different and it was much more, uh, heart, heart focused. Um, but as far as everything else, it was like, just don't get pregnant. Just don't get pregnant. Just don't get pregnant. Like you can never have a baby until you're ready. And, um, 
I think, you know, I just think it's interesting because I don't know anybody who's ever fully ready to have a child. <laughs> That's a whole nother adventure, no matter how actually a good time to have a kid. <laughs> yes. So there's, there's that side of it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I just have never been one pre prior to this. Honestly, I feel like this is one of the things that, um, one of the subjects that's really made me start to learn how to question everything. I just, mm-hmm. but I was never a person who questioned things. Like I just learned the things and I did the stuff that I was supposed to do. And I didn't question it because I believe, I know that my parents, my parents specifically, you know, were, were really looking out for me. And I just trusted that doctors and teachers and everything else were concerned, equally concerned about me. So why would they have any reason to steer me wrong? You know what I mean? And so I just, so thinking about that first appointment going in and just saying, I'm about to get married and I'm about to become sexually active. You know, mm-hmm. it was an old, like the, my OBGYN was an older man. Um, not that that matters necessarily, but I, I didn't feel comfortable questioning him because he's obviously been doing this job for 30 something years and he knows the things and he knows what to do. And, um, you know, knowing more about healthcare now, um, and how it, I'm not going to go in, I'm not going to launch into that in my opinions there, but I didn't think to question and he just kind of rushed me through the process. And there we go. Like you, I, he gave me what I asked for. And I didn't know, I didn't know to ask for anything else or to give him any other information or that there was even a reason for concern. So, uh, you know, like I said, my biggest, my big aha moment was the fact that I knew I wasn't getting my period. And if I had continued on that birth control, I probably would have lost my period again. And I, um, I just was terrified that if I had another child, because it's, you know, the one I was on at that point in time was 95% effective. So there's 5%. And I knew somebody who had gotten pregnant while on birth control. And so it kind uh-huh. of opened my eyes to like, this is not a sure thing. And if I didn't know that I was pregnant, I could actually be hurting my child, which would be just horrifying and sad in my, you know, for me. And so I just kind of started to question, like, is this really the right thing? And look into, I mean, literally just Googling, are there other options? What, what do people in foreign countries that don't have birth control or people who don't have access to it, like, what do they do to prevent it? Like what's keeping them from having children, you know, if they're sexually active. And so I just kind of started looking into that and I heard about this temping process and to do, to learn about that, you have to learn about what an actual cycle consists of Mm -hmm. and that you can only get pregnant on the days that you're ovulating and so on and so forth. And so as I kind of learned that and looked into it more, um, and then learned about, like I said, the, the connections between birth control and breast cancer and some other things, I just was like, you know, I just don't feel comfortable taking this. I feel like I would hate myself every morning when I pop that little pill in my mouth, if I, if I started doing it again. Um, and so it was really scary at first. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, it was just really scary. You don't know what's going to happen. And when you've lived your life, I mean, at that point I had lived, we'll say 15, no, like 20 years of thinking that your body does one thing or needs one thing and then transitioning to the complete opposite. You know, I lived in fear for probably about a year of just the unknown. But then I started to see like, no, my body's responding well. And I have my period Mm -hmm. back and it's not painful and it's not lasting like 10 days. And, um, 
you know, the, mm-hmm. the physical changes at that point, I don't know what a trip, like how pregnancy and childbirth and everything contributed to that, but I just felt stronger and better and more alert. I just different things like that. And so, it, you know, I just felt more empowered. The, the more I did it, the better, the more I felt like this was the right choice for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. Yeah. There's so many things in that, um, that caught my attention. One, um, I'll say it. I think you're, you're being kind and respectful. Um, there are systems that are not helpful, mm-hmm. um, in, in seeking, um, medical treatment and support. And we can go a hundred directions on that, like birth control aside, like there are systems that impact, um, us getting our medical needs met that are unhelpful. Um, uh, not all providers are created equal. Like that's still just because one was unhelpful doesn't mean that they're all bad, but like we, we actually, I think that's a part of a greater systemic issue where you're not allowed to go like that, that personal advocacy of like, this was not. I like, I, I don't feel safe, right? I, I can't, I don't have a voice in this mm-hmm. process. And, um, I know as counselors, we, we spend time working with our clients, giving them permission to advocate for themselves in these systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are providers that respond well to that, but it's not all of them. No, it's yeah. just not. I was going to say, even in the way, Heather, you said, you said something in the beginning, um, of kind of talking about your journey, I learned to question everything. And I, and I thought, it not that kind of the message that we get from some of the medical systems is, oh, you're questioning everything versus you're being curious mm-hmm. about your experience in order to advocate, have a voice and be healthy and be educated. Yeah. Um, but it is often treated as um, resistance or even the disrespectful, gosh, you have to question everything. And, and even that has meaning to it that I don't think is is what you were describing. Mm-hmm. You learned to have really good questions about like, how does this work and how does it work for me? And what do I need? Which we as sex therapists mm-hmm. teach curiosity, one between the, the two people having a sexual experience, but also in your own journey about your own experience and your medical needs and the power of curiosity. But when we look at some, some systems, it's, oh, we don't, we don't want you to be curious. We don't mm-hmm. want you to ask questions. We kind of want this blind acceptance. And again, not that all pieces of, of that system are doing that and not that all providers would do that, but even the ability to go, okay, so my relationship with this provider and um, my curiosity is not being held well. And so I will just move on and find one that will hold that well, like mm-hmm. is novel to most of us because mm-hmm. we're just, yeah. it's just kind of ingrained that we accept the power of the white coat and you know, yeah. it's a part of this journey is learning to go, I'm not going to blindly accept that. And guys, I, I can push on the medical community. I am married yes, to medical. I'm married yes, to a white are. coat. So I, and he, he is one that will accept your curiosity and your pushback. So before I get the hate mail and the responses and the DMs, like I, we have these conversations all the time about yeah. how to make it safe for people to be curious and hold space well for, yeah this isn't working for me. But that, that struck me, as you said, I learned to question everything. And I thought, Oh, you know, we get that feedback, especially as women, like, 
you with your questions, <laughs> you know? Well, Thank it's you. Almost, I think there's a female factor. Yeah. I think there's, there's a piece of it that is almost like I took back the authority over my body. From yes, Mammy did. The traditional medical course. And I still, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I still kind of, I've gotten to a place where I like that you said curiosity because I, I think I that's a much better word. <laughs> I think it's much more respectful to both sides too. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just you trust you when I just blindly put that trust in a doctor that didn't know me, um, and you know I don't want to I don't want to blame him necessarily because he's part of the system too where he's just this is just what his job is now you know, is, um, but I do feel like there are definitely doctors who will, they will take your questions and truly answer them. And because they, because they genuinely care and want to share the information and respect that you are the authority over your own body. And there are definitely some that, um, they want to be the boss. And I, Mm -hmm. I just think I didn't know that, you know, like I said, I I went into it thinking that everybody had the same desire to see me succeed that I did, whatever success means in, in multiple areas. I mean, that could go in a, a, again, a million different ways, but, um, yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. I think back and the words that are coming up for me is I think as an adult, I retained a technical choice over my body, but I do not think in the full spirit of autonomy and agency and choice that I had it Mm -hmm. because for us to really have a choice, we have to be informed. And I just have not always sat in offices where there was a desire. And again, we could like, I mean, we could spend like three hour podcasts talking about like systems that like take that flourishing ability away from providers, Mm -hmm. you know, where they can like sit and spend time and you know, we, Mm -hmm. all the things. But for me to truly make a choice, not just have a technical choice, is to be fully informed and to care about me holistically as the human being having the experience, whatever that is. And I don't, you know, I think I have that more today than I ever historically have. Um, And I have health issues. Um, I've been high risk in COVID that are definitely um, pushing me. Uh, to continue to grow that. Um, so more today than ever. And then I still think not yet fully complete because I'm, tr- I'm still trying to find for, for those areas, the, the providers that are going to help me most do health and wellness and healing the way I want to and need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think there's so much there. I want to go back to the female thing. And I want to go back to this one specific area. Um, my personal experience and my sense based on my professional and personal experience today is that the female body, including the process that we're talking about, so menstruation and pregnancy and how to um, manage that, should you choose to, I would say historically has been kept as this very little information, very little known experience, which I think lends to chaos. 
Um, so let me give you some examples. Um, I, I got asked to come in and do, um, appropriate sex education for like a, a girl's group, parents permission, all the things, but they wanted someone to be able to technically answer questions. And, um, the thing that sticks out is there was uh, a young girl in the group who was terrified of getting her, her period and was like collecting the goods for the day that the boogeyman was going to jump out and grab her because that's what it felt like to her. Like it was this fear mongering, dirty, ugly, very little information. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think we're completely walked out of that culturally. I think we're starting to do that. But how unhelpful that we are just now getting to know the fullness and the beauty of how our bodies work, Mm -hmm. giving us permission to be fully connected to our processes as women. Um, We're talking about like not just early adulthood, but like into it, like middle adulthood, you know, like sometimes past our classic childbearing years. Like I, it's just so sad to me that women have had this story I think it's probably true a little bit for men. I do think that we have, we have bared a burden that's really unique and I'd love y'all's thoughts. I think that, well, not, I think I do agree with you. Um, I don't know if I ever felt like it was something to be scared of, uh, Mm. that the information was never presented to me in a, in a way that was fear that I was fearful that I would be dirty or that it would hurt. But I think that there are definitely some, things out there. Um, would a general negative mm, attitude or disposition toward this part of women be more accurate? Like I kind of chose the extreme because I've heard those stories. I think so. I mean, there's, you know, there's the like, Oh, she's on her period. So don't mess with her because she's going to be in a bad mood. Like there's a lot of Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, that I think is, it's not truthful. And I mean, if you, I don't know. I mean, if you're, if you're a man, And you're sitting there and you're thinking about like what women have to go through physically on a monthly basis. Like it seems like anybody would be, would be maybe a little bit fearful of that, of whatever um, changes are happening in your body. You know, the discomfort level, I mean, is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. I think more than anything, the frustrating thing is that societal attitude of like, oh, well, she must be on her period or she must just be, you know like she's hormonal and crazy or whatever it might be. I think that is probably more like a dismissive of our emotional experience. Yeah. Yes. I think that's, that's more accurate. Um, in regards to, now I haven't felt that within my family. Um, but Mm -hmm. I have definitely heard people talk about other women like that and it's hurtful. And like you said, dismissive Mm -hmm. of actual emotions and, and things that are actually happening. Um, and it is, I mean, it's definitely, but I don't, I don't know. I think about it like how would, how would a man be able to support outside of like just the, emo, the like the standard emotional support? I mean, is there a, a way that that would mm-hmm. change? I don't know what the outcome would be. I have a new word. I feel like menstruation and the female cycle and again, I, I, I see the evidence of us moving out of this, but I think it's been taboo. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's been, it's almost like people are fearful to learn about it. And I don't, yeah, because I know I was afraid to be, 
or I was afraid that I would learn something and then that it would be wrong or it wouldn't apply to me. I think there, there's a, a, a bit of fear there. Um, I think there's also fear for, you know, even for men who are interested and want to know more about how it works so that they can be supportive. Um, it's just also, a you know, it still feels weird because it's taboo because maybe people have in other, you know, men or women have made it feel gross or dirty or like just, you know, that's about your private parts. Nobody talks about their private parts, you know, or whatever it might be. So, um, I don't know, but it is so cool how our bodies work. Like it's legit, really interesting. And so, um, I don't know. I think that, you know, as I look to raise two boys, um, you know, we're not quite at the phase yet where we will be talking in depth about sexual health or, or anything like that. Um, but you know, we're, I'm, I'm starting to kind of think about how we're going to present this information. And I think it is really important to talk about not just their bodies, obviously that's incredibly important, but, um, about women and I can foresee it being very awkward, <laughs> but, being able to, to charge through and make it and normalize it, you know, I think is going to be something that will help them and a lot of other people in the future. And I think that that's just a change that we can make as we're, as we're sitting here and we're getting curious about ourselves and, um, you know, we have an opportunity to make curiosity normal, you know, for, mm-hmm. for future generations. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. Mm-hmm. What what stands out to me or what's coming up for me is the power of narrative and where one does not exist, what that emotional experience is like. So where it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. how scary that is. I mean, we with, what is the saying? We fear the unknown. The unknown is scary. So when we don't have any narrative, that really scares us. Mm-hmm. And then where we have little bits of it or inaccurate narrative, how confusing that is versus gosh and I think I think we're starting to get there at least I I hear it more and more in our generation of of parenting and things like that there's a desire to be informed have an accurate narrative a consistent dialogue um but I, I when we talk about menstruation and even birth control the narrative is oh, this thing is coming once a month that's going to make you yeah. super crazy and weird and it's messy, messy. it's gross, it's mm-hmm. awful, like be prepared. So either fear or disgust or shame or just annoyance. And again, it has some, you know, I mean, there's logistical dynamics. Not always have. enjoyable. Right, yes. yeah, and that's, that's okay. That's fine, you know, like I, you know, it's, preparing and when you miss the preparedness and it's like, oh, bummer. Okay. But if it was more of a celebratory narrative, what would that change? If we were teaching young girls and young boys, to your point, Heather, this is incredible that we get to be co-creators with God to create life and menstruation's a part of that. And it's this cool thing that happens and it's so complex and it's so awesome mm-hmm. Yeah, and engaging. Okay. And there's, there's, you know, there's value. And it can be hard. Yeah. And that, yeah. And we can do hard. We can, can, we can hard. do hard things. We can talk about it. We can be curious about it. Mm-hmm. It's also not one size fits all. 
whether it's menstruation mm-hmm. or birth control and what you need and how you navigate that. So it's, you know, letting that be safe too, to go, Oh, well, my girlfriend says this, but that doesn't work for me. And so for me, I'm going to do this. So, but to have more curiosity and celebration and it's just normal. Like I think about your young voice mm-hmm. knowing it's just normal that menstruation happens. Like mm-hmm. that's just, that's, that's good. It's healthy. It means mom's body's working their, their future, um, spouses, they'll just be like, well, this is good. It means your body's working. That's just yeah. natural versus this, like, I don't know. There's like this thing that I think happens and it involves blood and it yeah. sounds really awful and but shrouded in shame. And like, I think all these pieces come together and it either we have no narrative at all or the narrative we have is so negative, mm-hmm. but what, what seems to be healing and restorative as we all talk today is when we hit the point in our journey where we went, Oh no, it's okay for me to be curious. Mm-hmm. No, it's okay for me to understand. And when I do, I feel empowered and it's actually a lot of joy and it's actually kind of fun. And yeah, I, I feel peace and freedom and that narrative being so powerful that we're, we're not hearing. Yeah. I, you know, I would think about my, I'm just thinking about my journey. Um, there was a lot of research done. I, I just think about like the the access of information that we have at our fingertips now, or that you know how readily available it is, was not quite the same. Like I couldn't just walk into. I keep thinking about my elementary school and like middle school because that's where mm-hmm. I was when I was starting my period and everything. And you know I couldn't just walk in and like look through the card index or whatever and like go find the cyclopedia and learn about like it wouldn't give the decibel system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never understood that. I know, my I just, like, what is me and the library were enemies. <laughs> they ask me all the time. I'm like, I don't actually know what it means. Um, but you know, I mean, I can't imagine. And because there was that cultural, like, we don't really talk about the specifics, like this is just in general, what's going to happen to your body. It felt very mysterious and not in my, it, from, in my experience, it wasn't scary, but it was mysterious. And I didn't think to question it because then I did, I didn't want to appear curious um, because I didn't want people to be like, well, why are you asking? Like, why, why do you want to know about that? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so um I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother topic of my personality, but, (laughs) but, you know, I didn't want people to wonder why I was wondering, you know, but now I have, so whenever I first started looking into what other options could be, um, you know, I talked about it with my husband, but more than anything, I was online looking at stuff myself. I didn't have to be fearful of, um, people wondering what my motives were behind that. You could have a private experience first. And I think there's some danger to that as well, because I think a lot of this, so much of it, um, is there's a lot of healing and being able to process this with another person and in a community of people who are like-minded and who do care about you. But, um, I think that now that we do have access to this, we can find out more until we're, until we're ready to be able to ask further questions within the the context of relationships, you know? And I don't know. I just, I think that's, that's a benefit. It could be a curse, but I think that's, you know, we, we can choose to see it as a benefit um, of being able to have that information Mm -hmm. available to us. So. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think the information access can be empowering. Well, Um, I mean, this podcast, someone's going to hear it. Hopefully somebody's going to hear it and they're going to 
be empowered by our stories of like we did ask questions um, because we didn't know the answers and then we found the answers and they led to a really cool time of discovering more about your body and, you know, yep. getting to that celebratory place. So you've kind of mentioned some things here and there um, and it's connecting with, you know, I, I, I appreciate any parent who is going to raise both genders to feel fully informed mm-hmm. and ready to have these conversations. Cause I think that's a part of the problem. Um, I cannot tell you how many women I talk to that have said, Oh, the decision about birth control, that was just on me. And there are some, some physical realities that, that to a degree, men will never be able to pick up the burden of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the pressure on women to make that choice, but I cannot tell you how many couples do not make this decision together because it's just her thing. Yeah. Um, and when you say things like, I'm going to raise my voice to understand the menstruation cycle and, and something, I'm like, you are equipping them to be really wonderful husbands <laughs> and spouses. <laughs> That's the goal, right? Yeah. Let's go for all this. <laughs> um, I also have one of each. So like, yeah. I've got, they've got the mail there. Um, I'm curious, um, what your thoughts are on, uh, that facet of this decision, there's this dynamic in, there's this individual dynamic, which is super important, but there is also this relational dynamic that is at play and there's tension between those two things. Um, so yeah, love your thoughts. I, I mean, I think it's really important and this will encompass a lot of other, uh, relational aspects as well, you know, of being at a place where you, where a woman can stand up, not stand up for herself. You know, I think if you're in a, if you're in a relationship, you shouldn't have to stand up for yourself in it. Like there should be some, there should be support regardless, but, um, you know, at least of them being able to go on the journey together. And I think there's a mindset shift that has to happen, um, for for that Mm -hmm. of like, this is an adventure and that we're working through and that we're walking through together. And, um, I mean, I think that our generation, I'm going to speak in generalities here, you know, I mean, I think back to, I watched the menstruation video with only girls and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, not that I would have wanted boys in the room or anything like that, but, uh, there's, because there is that separation, it is seen as, this is a guy's thing and this is a girl's thing and we just do it separately. But I think when you're in a relationship and you, and um, you're navigating it together, really trying to, uh, I don't know, just be interested in the other person, even when it's mm-hmm. awkward, you know? Um, Cause I mean, even I'm just thinking about childbirth, like that's a weird place to be in <laughs> with, <laughs> I mean, with like random doctors and nurses, but even with your spouse in the room, like being a little bit fearful of like, are things going to look different now? You know, are you going to see this process happen? My and my, yeah. Um, and I think it's a common question Yeah, for both parties. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I, I remember having that fear as well. So I think, um, I don't know. I, however fun you can make it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, ha- I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine not being with somebody who didn't support that decision. Yeah. One of the best examples I've heard is there's a church 
um, locally here in DFW that they actually bring in a sex therapist. Um, and not just to talk about intimacy. They, she actually breaks down the menstrual cycle. Like all the things that you learned later, she actually breaks those down for both parties to listen to. I think that would be great. Yeah. And explains, this is what's happening because the truth is at least chemically, if you're not using like barrier method or some other things, Mm -hmm. if you're going to use an oral contraceptive and chemically alter your cycle, um, in order to have birth control, you need to know what it's doing to your body. So she literally sits back and teaches the cycle to both parties mm-hmm. in the room. This is like a premarital class. And then she says, and this is how birth control works. It interrupts this. It tells the body this. It maintains this phase. It does this. And so your body doesn't ovulate or your body doesn't do this. And I thought, one, how empowering to the woman, because I think that's probably the first time that some women have heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, but additionally, you have involved him. You have made him aware of the decision that she is making. You have made him aware and involved and hopefully helped him care about what's, what this is going to be like for her. And uh, I've heard really good results, um, from that approach in the premarital class. So I'm I'm a big fan. I can, I am a huge fan of that. I really like that. And I, I mean, even you just saying that, you know, as my kids get older and we do start having those conversations, I think being able to speak to that, um, not just from my personal experience, but like from just a very scientific, this is, you know, facts are facts are facts. This is what it's doing to your body. I think that, um, I mean, that is really empowering and not just for them being able to understand what their partners or friend, even just friends or mom is going through, but like hope, you know, future spouses. Um, and that empowers them to be, part of the decision and family planning as well. You know, I think when you understand mm-hmm. the cycle, I mean, I don't know if you want to add this in there, but I think about, you know, now that I know how my cycle works, the miracle of getting pregnant and giving birth to a child is even yes. more amazing because our windows are so small, so much smaller yes. than anyone ever told you. You know, I mean, I remember again, like going back to just barely learning about it, it was made to sound like through the different education sources that like the second you had sex, you would be knocked up. And that's not yes. how it works. <laughs> and, yes. and nobody explained that. And it wasn't, um, I don't think it was malicious or to like a fear factor necessarily. At least that wasn't my experience. But I think that um, that information would have been helpful in my, my future decisions. So. I like that idea. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that, you know, any sort of premarital, anything um, should definitely include something like that. Just having the information at hand. Um, I, I don't know. I like that idea yeah. a lot. Yeah. What do you think your experience costs you? So, you know, you go through this kind of not feeling informed, being told, hey, it's normal, just accept it. You had to go through your own self journey to educate and shift things. What do you think that cost for you? I think it cost, I mean, I just wonder how many years of my life would I have felt better about my body um, Mm. if I just knew more about it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. my, My past has a lot of, like I said, disordered eating and body dysmorphia. And so whenever I saw changes like weight gain, that wouldn't go away no matter what I did or, you know, my breasts growing 
like two cup sizes then and just feeling uncomfortable never fitting in my clothes again you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing I think that I would have had a lot more grace for myself if I had known what the reasons were behind that um yeah. and I just think there's several I mean there's many years of our marriage and my life now where um I was blaming myself for something that I mean I guess technically would be my fault because I was the one who was taking the pill but you know if I'd known better, I probably wouldn't have done it. And, um, that's just a lot of years to not like yourself and to not understand your body and to not realize how cool it actually is, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to actually celebrate and love your body rather than it being this unknown mm -hmm. chaotic, you know, disconnect or dislike there. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a pretty high cost now that I think about it and talk it out. So Totally. Yeah. What's your view of birth control today? Uh, I mean, I would let people know that I am not a medical doctor. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I am. Nobody here owns a white jacket. No Kimberly white may jacket. walk around in her husband sometime, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would personally really highly recommend people ask all the questions, do the deep dives, talk with different kinds of doctors, um, not just like your standard OBGYN, but talk to holistic doctors as well. Um, learn about the cycle, etc., and, you know, make the best choice you can for your body. But I would never put another one of those pills in my mouth ever mm-hmm. again. And I would be really open with sharing that with, you know, if I was having like a one-on-one with somebody, um, you know, I can't make me- medical recommendations, obviously. I mean, there, like I said, I had a, I had a really good discussion with a good friend of mine through that post several years ago on social media. And mm-hmm. she, um, you know, we talked, we talked it out and worked it out, but at first she felt really attacked and judged by the fact that I was saying I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I was, you know, I mean, that is not the case at all, but if you, if you have any other way to combat, um, getting pregnant or, whatever other reasons you might need, whether it's acne or whatever. I mean, I would never recommend mm-hmm. anybody take it if there, if there's any other possible way to prevent or, um, take care of yourself. That's just my personal yeah. opinion. So. Well, I'll tell you, we, um, we are sex therapists and, um, one of the, like the, not one of the, the leading sexual medicine doctor in, uh, the United States, the world, the nation. I don't know. He's a big deal. Big deal guy. Yeah. It's for- Big deal. Like, right. Can we just put that as a podcast? This is not like we need jargon. Big deal. Big deal guy. Sexual medicine, which is a thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and start plugging that. Mm -hmm. Like that is a thing. That is a specialty niche. Just because you know about sexual organs does not mean you understand the sexual process as a medical provider. So like sexual medicine is the thing. He like, he's a big deal. And it's one of the first things he tries to pull you off of. Just saying. Very common. He would tell you that it's on all his podcasts. Like, you know when there are sexual issues showing up for her pain, um, desire, arousal, all sorts of things. One of the first thing we ask is like, are you willing to pull that factor out? Because it's, it is oftentimes unhelpful. So yeah. Um, you have backup on that. (laughs) I, yeah, I would agree with that. I don't, I just don't, I can't imagine that it would be wise for pretty much almost anybody. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. 
I gave you a heads up, I think, in the email that we sent that I was going to ask you about this because I did not know this until I was reading your bio. And, like, I just need to have a girl moment and, like, ask you, okay, will you tell us about your tattooed eyeliner? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let, me get, let me give you the background. Let me give you the background. So, like... I've had like a full blown spa day, like maybe twice in my life. Uh-huh. Okay. Like I have gone to the spa to do things, but like, you know, like this is real, like you're laying, you do go to all the rooms mm-hmm. and you know, the robes and all that kind of thing. Okay. And I remember one of my very first ones, there was like a group of women, older women, all talking about their tattooed makeup. And I was like fascinated. I was like so voyeuristically just like listening in and like going, oh my gosh, this is fascinating <laughs> because I am a natural blonde and like everything's really fair. And so I just thought, oh, how great would it be to like tattoo some eyeliner on? Like, I just love this idea. <laughs> just roll out and have some definition because I have blonde eyelashes. It is a thing. I have great eyelashes. They are blonde. <laughs> and then, you know, whatever, chunks of years later, I actually had a medical provider who uh, clearly she had a condition where she did not have um, eyebrows and eyelashes and she had everything tattooed on. And I thought, oh, tattoos again. Like, I just love this. And then just recently for random discussion, it's like come up between in my personal circles. And like, I'm seriously considering having a girl's day and getting tattooed eyeliner. So I need to know things. I've never met anybody that I could ask about it. So, okay. This will be, I feel like we're going to start seeing a pattern here um, where I just didn't ask questions. So there's... Okay. I'm glad that you're asking questions. Um, number one, I would I would recommend it every time. Um, I, okay. I don't know if I would. That's all I need. I'm going to tell my husband. Now. I don't know if I'd recommend getting it on the bottom lashes. Um, oh, okay. Because I feel like uh, makeup trends kind of come in and out. So un- unless you wear bottom eyeliner all the time and you know that you like that look, I would I would maybe not do that. Um, but. Okay, so here's what happened. I worked at Bahama Bucks, um, and there was this girl that would come by. All okay, the- I just have to say, I can't wait for you to connect Bahama Bucks to your eyeliner. Like, I'm just already going, this is going to be fun. I was working at the drive through <laughs> There was this girl that would come in all the time, and she would talk to, she was friends with this guy that I worked with, and um, they would talk all the time, and I would just kind of make her shaved ice drink or whatever and take it to the window, but they were the ones who were having a conversation, and I overheard mm. one day, it was a really slow day, it was like in the middle of winter, and I heard her, overheard her saying that her lips were super chapped because she had just gotten them tattooed, and he was like mm-hmm. a big tattoo fan in general. And so they're talking back and forth. And I was just sitting there like, what the actual heck? You got your lipstick tattooed on? <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, my um, my eyeliner. And then her, she had gotten her brows done before brows. it was cool. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that is so crazy. I don't know if I would ever think about that. But I, it's funny because I never actually wore eyeliner before I got mine tattooed on. And so it's really, oh. I don't know wild like wild child moment <laughs> not a wild person but <laughs> I was like I've always wanted a tattoo but I never knew what I wanted and I was like well that would be convenient so maybe I'll just get my eyeliner tattooed on so she started telling me about um this girl that she went to and she was like all the women in Dallas make a trip up to Lubbock to come see this one lady because she's so good and I was like well that's convenient because she's just right down the road <laughs> no Noted. big deal so I called and I made an appointment and, um, just kind of walked in. And so the lady did not speak any English. She had a translator with her, Wow. uh, which was interesting. And I just, but I just went with it again, <laughs> didn't ask questions. <laughs> 
And so what, what they did, I don't know if it's different, but what they did is they put like a, it's almost like a numbing gel, but I didn't mm-hmm. get, that was my number one question. Yeah. I am such a, well, hold on. I'm a baby. I'm sure those things, <laughs> I'm sure those things have changed since, since I got it done. Um, but first of all, she wasn't actually supposed to do it because you had to be at that time you had to be 21 and I was only 19. Um, but she was like, well, you look 21. So <laughs> just just through her translator. Um, so I, <laughs> I just forged all the papers. And so she put this like gel, this numbing gel on, but at the time it was like, you couldn't get it too close to the eye. And so like, I don't really know why we put it on because your eyeliner is right by your eyelashes. And so, um, it was like maybe 10 minutes the whole time. They're just, they're talking in Spanish, having a conversation. My eyes are watering. It hurt, but it wasn't (laughs) like, the end of the world kind of like, thing. The, like the numbing gel hurt. It was no, like, like it the, was no, like the needle, the, the actual tattoo. Oh, okay. hurt. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't terrible. And when it was over, it was over. It didn't hurt anymore. Um, and so I just, I couldn't wear makeup for like three days until the scabs or whatever had like flaked off. And I mean, it was only supposed to last like five years or something is what she said. And it's been almost 20, like, well, I guess <laughs> like 18. So, um, I don't know. I would recommend it. I like it. It's nice in the summertime whenever I'm, you know, at the pool all the time with my boys and don't wear mascara in the pool, but it looks like I have makeup on anyway. And I've, I've enjoyed it. I just think the only thing that I would have changed is I probably wouldn't have gotten it on my lower lashes. Um, just so that whenever it's not trendy to have lower lash eyeliner, then I could just kind of go with it and I don't know. Take it off. Yeah. 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 Um, Curious minds want to know what your pain tolerance is, just generally in life, so we can gauge this. <laughs> I feel like I have a pretty high pain tolerance. Um, oh, okay. Although, <laughs> I don't know if this is gonna work for me. <laughs> but if you if you can, I mean, I think more than that though, if you can like talk yourself up of like this is literally only gonna take ten minutes, you can do anything for just about ten minutes. You know, it's not it. And then it really does just stop hurting. Like it's not sore. It wasn't sore afterwards or anything like that. So, I mean, the most uncomfortable part for me was that my eyes just kept watering and I couldn't stop and I couldn't wipe it away, you know? And, um, I mean, she, she would like wipe it away and stuff like that, but, um, it wasn't, that was the most uncomfortable part I think was, it did hurt, but I kind of expected it to, but I didn't like my eyes watering constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. were your eyes open? Is this like Lasix? Were you no, like, oh my gosh, watch it happening? No. <laughs> yes. Okay. So no. So eyes closed. No, yeah. Like that's, I don't she, know. I mean, do she held it like taut, you know, and then did it. And then I think when my, okay. when she was doing the lower <laughs> lashes, I had to like look up, but she was holding it down. So I couldn't see what she was doing. Like I couldn't okay. see the needle or the little like pin that they have or whatever it's called. So. Like I could not, I could not watch someone like no. come at my eyeball with that. No. Like I'm going, uh, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I teach people how to have self-control. Yeah. I could not coach myself through that. I'm just not sure it could happen. <laughs> All the more reason to only get it on the top lashes. So there you go. I'm good. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. That is amazing. Thank you so much for letting me like sidebar <laughs> on your tattooed eyeliner. Like I, this is a serious discussion happening in my world. I'm like, I think I really want to do that. It, I, I always so. recommend it. I mean, you know, it's funny cause I, 
am kind of in the health um, or like the clean beauty space. And there are a lot of people who are like, <laughs> tattoos are the devil because they're contaminated with X, Y, and Z. But I'm like, this one little line, I don't think is going to make that big of a deal. So, <laughs> I, like, I like your balance, yeah. Heather. Okay, it's that's what I balance. hear. I hear lots of balance, moderation, yeah. good words. <laughs> Very good words. Yeah, so... Anyway, I, I, would it. I don't know if I would do anything else. Like a seeing, I see like microblading um, mm-hmm. videos yeah. and that terrifies me. And I don't know why, but I'm like, I don't want to do that, but I, I would do the eyeliner for sure. So yeah, the microblading, I've just heard the scabbing after that is like a real trip. And mm-hmm. so like, I've heard it's, it's that you have to get through that. And that is hard. That's yeah. what I've heard. Lips. I mean, I'd love to have a little tint on my lips, but I just. That is such a, I don't know. I just do not. That just sounds like it would hurt I, I think I'm going to have a hard time. Mm-hmm. That sounds more painful than my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> yeah, ironically. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Heather, you have been an absolute delight. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having um, me. It's, I think you guys really helped. Even though I've lived this experience, being able to put words to it has been really helpful, and y'all have helped with that a lot. So. Uh, Amazing. We love that. Okay. We close with the same two questions every time. Um, and so here's the first, what would you like the audience to take away from our conversation today? What would you like to leave them with? Ask questions, um, Mm. of yourself, of your healthcare, healthcare providers and be willing to change if you need to, you know, um, I say it to my kids all the time and it's so funny because I, I need to say it to myself. You get one, you get one shot, you get one body, you know, and the, the, one of the best things you can do is learn more about it and how it works and, mm-hmm. um, you know, be willing to, to change, I don't know, change the game a little bit if you need to, to, to make sure that you are as healthy and strong as you need to be. And so I think the biggest thing is just be curious. Don't, don't be afraid to ask questions and don't worry about what other people think, like what you might consider. This is me and my personality. I don't, I'm always, really cognizant of what other people might think of me. And I think that mm-hmm. was a barrier for me for a really long time was I don't want people to think that I'm like naughty or a bad girl or whatever. Am I like, I, those are not even like great words, but like, I don't want people to make assumptions about me because I'm questioning things. And, um, if I could go back and do it all over again, I wish that I had started asking questions earlier. And if I didn't get them answered, be willing to look elsewhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. Final question. What is your takeaway? What are you walking away from today's conversation for yourself? Uh, I just really like the word curiosity that you, you guys both mm. said it. I think, you know, again, looking, looking ahead as my, in my role as a mother, um, you know, I, I think I've been curious about my body and I think it's really cool now and I'm very thankful for that. And I hope that I can instill that curiosity in my boys and, um, and help them to see like just how cool we are like there. I mean, I, and honestly to be curious about more curious about what boys go through, you know, I don't know a lot. I know, I know the the specific like scientific things, but um, I'd be curious to learn a little bit more about what men go through and what that, you know, that what that all looks like on their end. So um, I don't know. I just think it's really, our bodies are so cool and I think it's something to celebrate and be and just be continually yes. curious about. So I like that word. I think that's my biggest takeaway. Oh, we love that <laughs> word too. We're big fans. It's a good one. It offers a lot of, awesome. it offers a lot of freedom. So. It does. 
Yes. Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Appreciate you. That was so nice for me uh, to, I'm going to say reconnect with Heather because um, we, we definitely had some shared circles back in the day in undergrad um, and I've just been watching her grow and flourish online and have loved, loved uh, getting, I don't know, a metaphorical front seat to that. Um, so that was just, that was a really sweet conversation for me. I so appreciate her voice mm-hmm. in the world and in the space. And I, I enjoyed that. That was a treat for me. Me too. Uh, what was your takeaway from our conversation? I'm not surprised by it. I think it's, I think it's a reinforcement of a couple things. One, whatever each person believes the reason that has, I don't know, caused and or maintains this issue. We, we just generally as a society have a lack of information about the female body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a, a deep, great need for that to be more common knowledge. And I, I do see glimpses of hope in that. Um, but, uh, still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, Along with, even if we were to to get to a place where the, the baseline, and by baseline I mean really thorough awareness and education about how women's bodies worked for both males and females, which I love yeah. that, that about the conversation. Even if that got out there, to still be able to acknowledge, because I think in, a, in our communities and society we struggle with this, that even with that basic knowledge, like each, I'm going to say human, even though we're talking about women's bodies, each human experience is unique. And mm-hmm. so what played out for one woman is not going to play out for another. And that was just reinforced today for me. And I am hoping that, that people feel validated um, in their story and journey because we had this conversation. What about you? Yeah, I, similar, similar takeaways. Um, I think just reminded of the power of education and conversation because to your point I think sometimes we've oversimplified and then not had enough conversation about female bodies and sexuality and reproduction and all of that and I think it's you know as Mm -hmm. we shared stories and Heather shared hers even there's just this idea that you you go to the OB-GYN and they hand you um, a pill and you just take that and then like this kind of the myth that it's just going to work for everybody and the the pain and the invalidation and the difficulty and the shame even when your body has a different experience and you're thinking, oh, I must be odd. And, but, you know, so just the power of conversation, I think even as three women sat around today mm-hmm. having a conversation and very different experiences, very similar experiences, highlighting the need for, um, yes, there to be a baseline, like all women should enter pre-adolescence and adolescence with this just growing knowledge of their bodies and, 
um, sexuality and, you know, what would that be like to, to be able to talk mm-hmm. about, like, here's what I know, here's what is true, here's what is true for me and my body, um, and, and how powerful that is. Um, and mm-hmm. though, yes, we've come a long way, you know, I'm aware that we still need to continue to have conversations with um, our daughters, our nieces, our um, the, the young women in our lives, but then even with each other, you know, and just being able to a little bit like, Hey, I'll go first. And I, that's a little bit what I felt with mm-hmm. Heather. Like she'll, she said kind of in her post so many, um, years ago that like, Hey, I'll go first and I'll say this and how validating and helpful just to even open up the space for that and yep. how powerful that is to, to sit in the nuance and complexity of this thing called female bodies and sexuality. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.